This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host. And let me tell you a little something about Parent Footprint. Our mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. How do we do this? We do this by believing that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids who are aware all the stuff that we want for our kids is for us adults, us parents, us individuals to do the same, to seek happiness, health, engagement, and awareness in our own lives. And if we can do that, we can create our own vision of successful parenting for our family. And we can do this by being the person we want our children to become. Today's show I have been looking forward to for a very long time. It is called No More Shame, The Power of Living and Learning Differently. And the reason I've been looking forward to this is because of our guest, my friend and colleague, Jonathan Mooney. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, Excited to be a part of it. All right. I'm going to tell everyone a little bit about you before you tell people a lot of bit about you. So, Everyone, Jonathan, who many of you have, I'm sure, heard of, is a dyslexic writer, speaker, and basic do-gooder, serious entrepreneur who does well in this world. He did not learn to read until he was 12 years old. He has a fabulous story, and along the way, he picked up an honors degree in English literature from Brown University, then started writing a bunch of bestsellers, a famous one called Learning Outside the Lines, The Short Bus, A Journey Beyond Normal, and The Brown Reader. He travels all over the place uh, speaking uh, about educational advocacy, social justice. He started several awesome projects, all that help people. One is Eye to Eye, a mentoring program for kids with learning and processing issues, and several others that he started. And his stuff has been featured all over the place, including the New York Times, the L.A. Times, Chicago Tribune, USA Today, HBO, NPR, the New York Magazine, ABC News, Washington Post, and the Boston Globe. (sighs) That's a lot of stuff. And what Jonathan is known most for is his passion, his advocacy, and connecting with everyone on all sides of the table. All right, Jonathan, here we go. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm uh, excited to be uh, a part of it. I, th- I think you just took up the whole show on that intro, so probably time to say goodbye, Gosh, right? God, I'm going to take a deep <laughs> breath Why you tell everyone, like, tell us about your story and how, how you came to be on this road. You know, I think, uh, I think you really, you, you led off with what my, my personal journey and my professional mission is all about. Um, I'll start with the first part of your lead. I was somebody who was made to feel deeply ashamed and uh, less than because of a whole constellation of, of learning and attentional uh, differences. Uh, I was a kid that spent 
you know, most of the day uh, chilling out with the janitor in the hallway because I couldn't sit still. I was a kid who grew up on a first-name basis with Shirley, the receptionist in the principal's office. <laughs> uh, I was a kid who spent a lot of time hiding in the bathroom to escape uh, reading out loud. Uh, I was diagnosed with um, a whole continuum of, of learning uh, disabilities, the language used at the time. Uh, I prefer learning differences now. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, uh, uh, diagnosed with attentional uh, differences and challenges uh, in fifth grade, left school for uh, a chunk of time in sixth grade, had a plan for suicide when I was 12, struggled with a whole continuum of, of mental health uh, challenges uh, that year during that period of my life, and generally had a, a, a whole bunch of low expectations that, that surrounded me. Uh, I was told I'd flip burgers for a living. I was told I'd be a high school dropout, was told I'd be incarcerated, and, and many other things. And uh, I kind of went on a very different journey, as you mentioned, opposed to uh, being a high school dropout. I graduated from, from an Ivy League university, opposed to flipping burgers. I wrote books, and opposed to being an inmate, I became an advocate. And uh, I see it as my moral obligation to uh, be out there in the world trying to uh, empower folks who who feel ashamed of uh, differences in their life, uh, build uh, an infrastructure, build uh, schools, uh, uh, build a, a social consciousness that uh, sees uh, difference not as deficiency, uh, but as something that is valuable uh, in somebody's life, uh, valuable to a community, uh, and, and, and ultimately valuable to the world. Yeah, and you know, the fortitude that uh, that I know it took is among like one word to describe uh, what you had to dig deep on, uh, deep in to get through um, at some of those tougher parts on your journey. And uh, I know that all of our listeners tune in because they want to be the best parents they can be. And uh, there's a lot of talk about how do we build resilience in our kids and and, and, and how, do we, how do we help them persevere in the face of adversity, which you certainly did. And uh, because I've had the good fortune of hearing you speak on several occasions, please tell everyone about this uh, small powerhouse who was just a force of advocacy in your life that made such a big difference early on. Yeah, I think you're, uh, I think you, you're referring to, to Colleen Mooney, my, uh, my mom. Uh, somebody, <laughs> yeah, that one, uh, that one. Yeah, sorry. that one. <laughs> yeah, somebody who, uh, <laughs> who I certainly uh, would not be the person uh, I am today if I didn't have her in my life. Um, you know, force is the right word. My mom, you know, not a tall woman uh, on a good day, uh, on her tippy toes and high heels. She's 4'11". Uh, my mom's got this uh, very high-pitched, squeaky voice uh, like Mickey Mouse, and uh, my mom curses like a truck driver. So if you were a principal or a teacher, uh, you did not want cursing Mickey Mouse in your office. Uh, but that's where she was when things were were going wrong for me. She was in that office. Uh, we knew she was in that office because every dog in the neighborhood was running away. Uh, only bats could hear her high-pitched obscenities. You know, my, my mom understood um, that I didn't need somebody in my life to fix me, which is often uh, how parents, caregivers, professionals, teachers are made to feel that's often what they're told their role should be, to, to sort of fix a kid uh, who has challenges like mine or is struggling. 
Uh, my mom understood that that's not what I needed. I didn't need somebody to, to fix me. I needed somebody to, to fight uh, for me and, and, and with me and, and ultimately somebody to, to empower me to, to become an, an advocate and an agent in my own education and in my own life. Now, and you alluded to, to the notion of sort of fortitude uh, in my own journey, um, and obviously we, we live in a, in a time in which we, we understand uh, more than ever, and I, it's a very positive thing, the importance of, of non-cognitive skills, of, of grit, of resiliency, uh, and of cultivating right. uh, those skills. And I think one of the things that is, is often left out of that conversation around cultivating those, those non-cognitive uh, behaviors, which we know correlate with life success for all kids, challenges or not challenges. Uh, one of the things that's often left out of that is, is the role of, of adults. Uh, in my case, it was my mom, but it doesn't have to be a parent necessarily. It can be an adult cultivating intentionally uh, self-advocacy and efficacy behaviors in a young person's life. Uh, specifically, for me, it was within the context uh, of education. You know, a lot of young folks uh, with or without labels are tremendously disempowered uh, in their educational experiences. Uh, they're done too. Uh, there's a great book by a, by a Stanford uh, education professor called Doing School. So a lot of young folks sort of just go through school uh, as, as little robots. I mean, the number of times right. I've given talks uh, in public school, private school, affluent, not affluent settings around the country, and a kid has come up to me afterwards and said, hey, I'm, I was a robot in school. It, it's staggering. So I think focusing on that notion of how do we build efficacy and agency, certainly for me, it was, it was the only way I was getting through. You know, I don't spell well, I don't read well, I don't write well, even to this day. But what I do well is I, I'm an advocate for myself and was in my education. But even for a young person that is, is doing so-called well, it's important to be cultivating that sense of agency and efficacy in their education and in their life and beyond. Totally agree. Totally agree. So again, parents are like, okay, that's cool, but but what do I do uh, besides read a few books on it? You know, like, and, and then what do I yeah. do? So what would you, what would you say? Break it down. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a there's a there's a number of of, of steps to this, and I think what I'll outline here is obviously sort of said through the the lens of my experience uh, with 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 challenges in school, but I think we could extrapolate broader. Now, so number one is is to sort of name it. Uh, and name efficacy and agency as a value, right? You know, we, we tend to invest in what we value. And so in school, you know, we value a set of academic metrics. And those, so subsequently, we are investing time and energy and, and often fiscal resources in, in, in growing those academic skill sets. Well, if we uh, invest in and say we value agency and efficacy, uh, then we can hold ourselves accountable to making sure that we're practicing what we preach around that and making, making time and space for it. So first is, 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 a, is a naming it of something of value uh, that is of equal value, and, and many say uh, of, of more value than a, a whole constellation of traditional academic skills. Second thing is mm-hmm. we got to help kids practice it. And so there's a, there's a really good uh, practice venue in my life, and I think this pertains to, to students who, who have my experience of, of navigating the world um, with, with, with differences, uh, and, it's, and it's called the sort of individualized uh, education plan or the IEP or the 504 or whatever accommodations are being created. You know, I, I was always absent from those meetings. I, I was always 
excluded from those meetings, when the reality is those meetings, again, whether they're formal meetings uh, about an IEP or a 504 plan, whether they're more informal conversations about how to open up an, a learning environment, that, that is a teachable moment for a young person to be uh, thinking about their needs, developing metacognition, articulating their needs in front of adults, which is a lifelong skill that's going to serve somebody well for the entirety of their life, and an opportunity right. to be building a sense of advocacy, efficacy, and agency uh, in, in, in their life. So I, I would encourage the valuing of it and the practicing of it as really concrete next steps for folks to make that real in, the, in, their, in their parenting. Yeah, and as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, yeah, I actually had someone today basically said, you know, my, my kid knows the answers to the questions they're asking me about what he needs, and yeah. they won't even let him get into the room to talk That's about right. it. That's right. Um, and it's like we need kids need the support of adults who care because they can't just be thrown into the deep end and on their own learn to navigate a system that actually most adults can't even navigate when we're talking about the educational system and IEPs and 504s, right? So it's like we need to support them, give them an avenue, and then teach them and then watch them, right? Like it's a process, and, and it's like any other skill, you know, like to go back to that, and I couldn't agree more with you around the process, uh, like any other skill, if we set out to, to build phonetic awareness, you know, we, we have a plan, <laughs> we, we don't just drop kids into, you know, war and peace, you know, and, <laughs> and we support them as, as, they, as they practice the skill, fail the skill, build the skill, get feedback on the skill. So the same should be true for this constellation of efficacy, advocacy, and agency in a student's uh, life. Now, let's take agency as another really important sort of skill set to be cultivating um, that's analogous to advocacy, but advocacy has a sort of rights connotation to it, right? Like I'm going to advocate for my rights, which, which is appropriate within the context of a, of, of a, a person like myself with, with specific challenges. But uh, the notion of agency, I think, is really important when we get back to that idea of like doing school and the robot learner. And the learner that just sort of goes through their their day uh, checking boxes and regurgitating what they hear from 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 powerful adults in their life, you know that that is a real disservice. I went to Brown, as, as was mentioned. I, I was the kid who was never supposed to make it to Brown, and uh, I did through a, a, a winding road. Uh, but when I got to Brown, the, there was a deep irony in, in my Brown experience, which was, you know, I was better prepared for uh, higher education and and the the uh, the efficacy and agency that Brown in particular took, because Brown is very learned centered, than many of my peers who graduated with 4.5 GPAs from Palo Alto High School or from Milton Academy because the moment they got into their higher education, they didn't have their parents, they didn't have the external pressure, and they didn't know what was intrinsically motivating. So I also encourage, huh. I also encourage parents on this 
sort of road of like how do we actually build this constellation of skills, I, I encourage uh, uh, to think about where in a young person's life are they given agency to choose? You know, where are they given agency to choose and the most sort of mundane things of how they spend their time? And then more importantly, where are they given that agency to sort of choose a pathway within their educational experience? And that would be a really important place to, to be practicing a skill that's going to be essential in the 21st century where most people will have 50 different jobs and have to be intrinsically motivated, have to be agents in their life, not just waiting around uh, to be told what to do. Absolutely. And uh, I know in uh, my office here, I get some uh, like shocked looks on parents' faces when I'm equally like you t- talking about, you know what? far more important than learning the capitals and learning the quadratic equations and all of this other stuff is having a child who knows how to cope with life and knows what drives them and knows how to pick themselves up and figure things out. Right. It's like, and, and, and this is, this is like turning things over for a lot for our, for our current mindset in many ways. It is. I mean, we have been, um, you know, on a path of, of cognitive skills being the primary sort of, currency of, of what we think will lead to long-term life, life success. And whether it be Angela Duckworth or whether it be Carol Dweck with Mindset, Duckworth with Grit, right. um, whether right. it be what we just know from, from life, uh, where more Fortune 500 companies are run by C students than valedictorians. You know, the, the evidence is, <laughs> right. just, is yeah. just piling up, man. It's piling up yeah. that, um, that school isn't life. And sometimes the uh, skills that make you good at school don't necessarily make you good at life. And sometimes the kids who struggle the most in school, if they can survive it, they'll thrive in life. You know, I had this very uh, kind of old school Irish grandma, and uh, she used to say to me, she'd say, Jonathan, uh, difficult children make interesting adults. And <laughs> she, she was so right. I mean, She's, so many yeah. of the uh, – yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's right the, like the uh, the entre- yeah the uh, the entrepreneurs and uh, I'm gonna put you in that category, right? Interesting, man. Thinking outside the box, pushing the limits, and uh, and that's another thing that um, as we kind of move, continue to move towards parenting here, is how much of our culture and even our parenting messages are about teaching kids to conform, teaching kids to listen, teaching kids to be compliant. You know, it's like. We're, we're re-looking at all of this stuff, and, and in that process, um, I want us to hit a, a really important nail here, which is the whole notion of shame and how shame can probably be one of the most debilitating uh, things for a human being to overcome. Would you agree with that? Oh, without question. You know, it, it's interesting. In ancient societies— in, in um, classical Rome, etc., the number one punishment for a human being was not exile, because they were allowed to leave the village or the tribe and create another life elsewhere. The number one punishment was something called shunning, which is mm-hmm. essentially a type of shaming, where the person would be forced to live within the society, but be unacknowledged as a human being within the society. And that, I think, gets to your um, insight that um, it's shame and and running 
uh, underneath or parallel or embedded in a sense of being not a worthy human being uh, and being right. uh, on the wrong side of this arbitrary line of the normal human. And so much pain and um, I would say destruction comes from 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 shame. And, and look, I, I know that personally, you know, I had my mom on one hand who was the opposite of ashamed of me uh, and um, uh, was the opposite of ashamed of herself, of where she came from, even though she faced a number of challenges. But at the same time, I had my father, who was somebody that made a lot of mistakes in his parenting with me, um, somebody who I thought for a long time was deeply ashamed of me. And uh, I learned kind of late in my life, too late in my life, but it's never too late, uh, that he was really ashamed of himself. And he grew up in a very traditional Irish Catholic household on the, on the East Coast. Um, he, his mom uh, used to tape his ears to his head because they stuck out. So he'd go to school in high school with tape on his ears when he was 16 years old. You know, my dad wow. um, grew up in a Catholic school environment, and, and my dad, no, this is not a joke, he had a nun in school named Sister Payne, right? <laughs> like, 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 you know, the, the <laughs> Lord had created her vocation yeah. just for her, you know? And so <laughs> my father had that shame about his own differences uh, and, uh, and, and continued that um, cycle in, in his parenting. And, and um, there was a lot of loss in that. Yeah. You know, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I, I, I've only heard some parts of your story, and uh, I remember a little part of that story about your dad, but it, not in the same way. It's hitting me right now. And in the context of this conversation and parent footprint and thinking about how the whole idea behind Parent Footprint is that we all leave footprints on our kids. We are inevitably leaving footprints on our kids. And how do we choose? How do we choose? How do we choose the footprint we want to leave? But the key is being aware of the footprint that was left on us so we could choose. And here you have your mom who left a certain kind of footprint, your dad who left a different kind of footprint. And what I always say is, hey, when we're mad at a parent or we're mad at someone, just look up one generation and then look up another generation because everyone was treated a certain way to come to be who they are, along with temperament, of course. And then it just, it trickles down and it keeps trickling down unless we are mindful about how we want to live and how we want to raise our own children. That's right, and and um, you know I'm a, I'm a fan of your show, so I know that there's a a question about about you know the kind of footprint that I'm hoping to leave, and and, and the difference I'm hoping to to live in my own parenting, and uh, you know what's interesting to me is the uh, ability to to change, you know, to to look up that lineage and to understand its origins, and to not excuse behavior, but to understand behavior. Those are very different things. Like I don't uh, excuse my father's behavior, but I understand it. And it gives me Mm -hmm. some, some distance on it and it makes it less powerful uh, in in a controlling sense and allows me to, to sort of break 
a cycle with that uh, understanding. Uh, now, I will say this, and I don't know if we're kind of at the time in the show where it's appropriate for me to share my kind of parent footprint yeah, thing or go, not. Go, go. Um, I think one of the, the ironies is um, that my father, and, and this is what I would like to share is my sort of parent footprint, uh, my father had the, the capacity in a small way to break that cycle a little bit at a critical moment of my, in my life. And, and for me, it's, it's that uh, decision that he made that I'm trying to carry forward with my three boys. I'm the father of three. I have, I have three boys, 10, eight, and six. Uh, and, and I'll just share the story real quick. So, you know, I alluded to the fact that I dropped out of school when I was in sixth grade. And, and then and I had a plan for, for suicide, struggling with depression, and anxiety, and, and no one uh, knew the, the, the depths of it, really, but, but uh, everyone knew I was struggling. And sh- shortly after I was getting ready to leave school and was kind of at the, the, the inflection point of that, uh, me and my dad, uh, because the one thing we shared uh, a, a passion for and a, and a place of connection with sports uh, and, and, and we, and baseball in particular, uh, we went to a lot of baseball games and my father took me to the 88 world series, which is a very, very, very famous yeah. uh, baseball yes. game at Dodgers A's, uh, you know, Kirk Gibson hits this, Gibby. this crazy, the Gibby. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. You walk off, you know, yeah. Glimping off. And, and the reality is I don't, I don't remember that part of the game at all. What I mm. remember is after the game, uh, I was hanging out with my dad we were waiting for the traffic to go away at Dodger Stadium. You know, we were in the car, and, uh, you know, I expected my father to kind of give me a big lecture, you know, like, well, buck up, work harder, you know, what's wrong with you, the, all things that he had said to me many, many, many times. And my dad looked at me, and uh, he said, hey, son, I love you for who you are. And that was uh, a lifesaver. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't know where that came from or how he found that in himself to, to, um, to, to, to break that cycle of shame. Um, but I'm so grateful every day that he did. And, and that's what I'm trying to bring forward the footprint with my kids. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't love my kids because they perform or get into a college or, or, you know, make me look good or any, I love my kids for who they are. And, and you know, everyone does. Sometimes we can sh- uh, 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 stray from the path of that a little bit in the day to day when it's busy and, you know, you got a homework, you got pickups, you got drop offs and, and you got the pressure of this very uncertain world looming over you. And I feel that pressure as a parent, you know, of this uncertain right. world of what does it mean to have a job? Oh, every now and then I get stuck and oh, if my kid doesn't go to Brown, they're going to be unemployed. And, and I got to just back <laughs> off, yeah. you know, yeah. and I got to just uh, leave the, 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 I would say the toe print that my father left for me positively because his other footprint was one of shame, but he had, he had, right. he had a big toe of, 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 of being able to see past that. And I'll try to make that, um, the, the footprint that, that I leave on, on my kids. Wow. Man, what, like, the timing of that message to you probably is just, like, a game changer, right? The timing of that. And a, and a, yeah. profound, a profound lesson for all of us that, you know, it's never too late. It's never too late to decide to leave a different footprint. You know, all, mm-hmm. all the mistakes in the world could have happened, and you can understand those and not excuse them, but you can move on and move past those. And, and um, for my dad, be a different parent. 
Yeah, you know, and you're like you're just hitting all these really important and key features of our mission and 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 parent footprint. And one, if I can keep going with this, is um, is forgiveness, right? So you're 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 alluding to it. So I'm just gonna hit it more squarely with you. Is that the idea of forgiveness? Because we can't, with the shame that most of us human most of us human beings do not get out of humanity without experiencing shame in some way shape or form and some of us more severely than others and with that there's usually a person or people who have given us the shame and a lot of us don't want to pass it on but maybe have not been able to understand as you're talking about with your dad in order to forgive perhaps so you can move forward more without that extra baggage, if you will. You mean you, you, you gotta, you know, you, you, um, and, and I will tell you, uh, being a parent, if anything has, has humbled me in mm-hmm. and facilitated and advanced and, and accelerated that process of forgiveness, uh, of the process of folks, of understanding that, that, that the people in my life, ranging from my father to many educators, frankly, who made profound mistakes in, 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 in my journey, uh, were uh, working with a limited tool set. They're working uh, with limited knowledge that most human beings act out of ignorance and not malice. Uh, not right. all, but, right. but most. And uh, again, the, the understanding, not excusing, but understanding to, to, to lead to forgiveness, and, and, and which is an act of, of, of releasing the power of that old process uh, and uh, an act of, of, of extricating oneself from a, from a, a cycle of, of shame, uh, a cycle of, of, um, of really feeling like you have uh, no value in the world and, and opening up uh, a different future for yourself as a human being and, and, and a different future for the, for the people that, that uh, you love and the people that you care for. Yeah. Spot on. So in us taking on shame and all the parents out there who feel shame, which makes you normal, um, and don't want to directly or indirectly pass that on to your kids – Jonathan, is there like one thing? Because you know we ha- we have a busy life now, and everyone's overwhelmed, unfortunately. But that's just that's the way it is. So if there was one thing that something something that a parent could internalize, could actually take action on, to reduce shame and increase acceptance for their child, what would you recommend? You know, so many of the things that that we are made to feel shame about. Uh, are our differences, our differences as profound as, you know, dyslexia and ADHD and sort of other experiences that fall into the social category of disability to, you know, the fact that, you know, our, our, one of our teeth are crooked, you know, and, and, and I think we underestimate how much of a driver of shame feeling different is uh, we remember we are uh, you know social animals and um, the survival 
of uh, a human being um, historically was predicated upon acceptance by the group and navigating the group. And it's one of the great paradoxes of, of human uh, experience that we are so group-oriented but so singular as beings in our thoughts, actions, abilities. Uh, and that's one of the great tensions in human society and, 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 in, and in our culture and in living life. And so I think to be cognizant of the way that those um, differences are being experienced for kids, uh, to be cognizant of the way that for a, a group of young folks, different is presented as deficient. And they are bombarded by a message of deficiency, uh, whether that be uh, the message around learning deficiency, attentional deficiency, um, whether it be uh, another part of their neurodiversity that's labeled. That's a good chunk of young folks who feel that way. And so for folks who are listening that are in, in that uh, experience, I think it's imperative that we challenge that, that deficit uh, pathology model that sees what really is 25 to 30% of the human population as less than when the reality is that uh, those folks are bringing something to the collective. There's a reason why ADHD has survived in our gene pool. Um, there's a reason why uh, autism uh, has been a part of our experience. There's a reason for these things from an evolutionary and bio biological perspective. Um, and even if there wasn't, what it means to be an, an ethical society is to accept people as they are uh, and to not pathologize mm -hmm. the differences but celebrate uh, those differences. And moving up the sort of continuum, even for children that don't have um, one of those labels to subvert and to challenge uh, as a parent. Um, I think of one of my boys who doesn't fall into that category, um, but he is smaller than, than the rest of his class. And the amount of sort of shame that that is bringing up, again, seems like, uh, no pun intended, a small difference, but it, but it isn't, you know, for Kim, and, and it isn't for others. Mm -hmm. So to recognize mm -hmm. in, in our social groups the multifaceted ways that difference is marginalized and normal is celebrated, and to ultimately challenge that notion that there is a normal that we should be applying to ourselves, to our children, to our colleagues, to the people we love, and, and to, to, to bring that message to kids, uh, you know, very directly um, in uh, one's day-to-day -day interaction and one's language. I think that's a path forward to helping folks, uh, children in particular, feel less shame. You know, I'll give you an example of that. You know, uh, we talk at our dinner table all the time about how normal people suck. You know, that, that's, a com that's a common <laughs> dinner conversation in my household. And, uh, and the idea that there is no normal height, that's a, that's a statistical abstraction that came from, from, from the discipline of statistics, uh, emerged in the 1860s with industrialized society as a notion to keep certain people down. And we develop a critical consciousness around normalcy, just in the same way that I'm working to develop a critical consciousness in my children around white privilege, and I'm working to develop a critical consciousness in my children about 
about uh, socioeconomic uh, injustice. I'm also working mm-hmm. to develop a consciousness that subverts the notion that there's one way human beings should be. Cool. And I know that, uh, like many of the people listening, I-, I would love to be at your dinner table one night, man. That I'm sure that is... <laughs> Not a lot I of sitting still. I Let's love put it. it that way. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I think we should end with uh, a few words here. Uh, one thing is, uh, what I'm hearing from you is a message of you're fine the way you are, and I accept you the way you are, and your dad's words, I love you for who you are. Those are those are huge. Huge, huge, huge. All right, man. We got to end this thing, just like we got to end shame. So thanks for listening, people. No more shame, the power of living and learning differently. Jonathan, you are an inspiration. As always, please tell everyone where they can find all of your, more of your stuff, all that stuff I mentioned. Yeah, come. Uh, first of all, man, it's such an honor to be a part of the show. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and uh, consider you a mentor, friend, colleague. Um, so thank you very much, uh, uh, everyone. Anyone, come just find me at jonathanmoody.com. Uh, my email address is there, and and all sorts of other ways. And and I had my cell phone up there for a while. Uh, it still might be there. So you oh, can you're brave. Call me call me personally. <laughs> <laughs> wow wow he's a connector yeah. guys he's a connector yeah. all right man thanks so much for being on the show thank you all for listening uh everyone check us out at the usual place www.parentfootprint.com you know as you listen to the show and you hear jonathan's inspirational words of acceptance of love um fighting shame helping our kids be all they could be And a huge part of that is us being aware of uh, the footprints placed on us so we can choose the footprints we want to leave and leave them with love, caring, and compassion. As always, think about this guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave?